0: Church, let me encourage you to take your Bibles, please, and turn to Matthew 16. We'll be reading there in just a moment, Matthew chapter 16. We're beginning something new today a series of studies that we're calling Let's Go Be the Church. Have you heard that before? Let's Go Be the Church. And about a month ago, a little over a month ago, Mike and Dustin and I spent better part of a day together, uh, praying together, talking together about where we are as a church and things that we believe are very important as pastors that we do for you and um, things that we need to give attention to as a church. And so uh, part of that discussion is what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks, beginning today, uh, January 21st, and going all the way up to March 11th. Each Sunday, we're going to study, Lord willing, a, a different aspect of what it means to go and be the church. I believe on an individual level, you're going to benefit greatly from this. Uh, I also believe as a congregation, we will benefit greatly from this. As a companion to this experience on Sunday morning, we're also going to be gathering around tables on Sunday night, much like we did last winter where we studied Experiencing God Together, we're going to take some of these concepts and be applying them on Sunday night. Mike Shipp, our pastor of Discipleship and Missions, will be leading that each Sunday night. However, last year we met in the gym. This Sunday night we're going to meet in the student center, which is on the second floor of the other building that's not attached to this one. We're going we're to meet in the student center for several reasons. One, it's just a lot easier to set up because it's already set up. We don't have to set up tables, tear down, uh, set up speakers, all that kind of thing. So we're going to use it for that reason. Also, if you're a person that comes and walks into the worship center, and walks back out to your car, you will find that more convenient in the back. You'll be able to park more closely to the door, enter through the covered drive. If it's raining or whatever, you can flip a coin to see who's going to park the car and walk back in the rain. Um, there's an elevator there. If you're not good with stairs, that's all right. We've got an elevator there. We don't know how to make it any, any more convenient for you unless you want us to escort you up there ourselves. So it is, it is going to be a great opportunity for us to gather in an informal environment as a church and to think very carefully about what it means to be church and how we in 2018. So I invite you to come back tonight at six o'clock. If you have a child that's involved in the squared uh, choir rehearsal or music rehearsal, uh, they will be rehearsing at the same place. They're not going to be rehearsing wherever they normally rehearse. They're going to be rehearsing upstairs in the student center at 5 o'clock, even today. And so if your child's involved in that, you want to drop them off at the student center, you'll pick them up at the student center uh, as well on Sunday night. When I began ministry outside of college, Gail and I received an assignment with what used to be called the Home Mission Board, and we went to serve in Southern California starting new churches. We were serving as the only other staff member at the First Baptist Church of Beverly Hills, which still exists, and and it sounds impressive, but it was a smaller membership church tucked in an urban setting, uh, two blocks below Sunset Boulevard, one block outside the Beverly Hills city limits. We helped start uh, five congregations while we were there. I helped relate to and manage seven other churches that we had helped start there a dozen churches in all, and I came out of that experience with some very significant questions related to what is church. We left Los Angeles and moved to North Mississippi where I pastored a rural congregation of about 200 plus people in Northeast Mississippi, a little crossroads kind of a community, and you talk about a culture shock in reverse. I left Los Angeles And I moved to Dumas, Mississippi. We got mail from Dumas, Texas and Dumas, Arkansas uh, in Dumas, Mississippi. And that was my first pastorate where I was serving as a senior pastor and learned a lot there, cut my teeth on pastoral ministry there and and learned a great deal there. But I had those continuing questions about what is church. It was deep in my heart, deep in my soul, continues to this day. Uh, While I was there, I began study a a master's program at the University of Mississippi in the study of history, but working with those professors, they were allowing me to focus on the question, um, what was happening to the idea of church through a certain period of history, a period of history where the idea of church is being discussed perhaps more than in any other time in history. Um, When we left Mississippi, I went to ultimately to pastor and help start a new church in Lake Charles, Louisiana. They're also exploring the idea of what is church and, and new ways of thinking about church, how to approach church life. Uh, it was so different from the average church that even our local association for a while wasn't sure what we were. Uh, it was just different. And at that time, things we take for granted today were seen as new and novel back then. Um, when we left there, I wound up at a regional or a downtown old uh, First Baptist Church, First Baptist Church of Lake Charles. And, um, and in, that, in that congregation, it was a traditional congregation by every meaning of the word traditional, but yet in that congregation, I experienced and sensed a supernatural heat and a supernatural warmth in that church that I couldn't explain. And I used to think that in order to do church, you had to do church entirely differently in order to get that. But here it was, it was there in this existing church and, and they were doing things in traditional ways. And, and I, in processing that with the Lord, made some very significant discoveries, conclusions about what is church through that experience. Left there to a brand new church plant in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And uh, in that church plant, Uh, we experienced growth, we experienced that same supernatural warmth and heat, but in an environment where I didn't even have a shirt with a collar for the years that I was there. Jeans and t-shirts or something with no collars, Henleys. And we were experimenting there with what is church and how is church led and what is church life like. And so I went from a very traditional environment to a very contemporary environment and navigated those waters. When I left there, I went to Lifeway Christian Resources. I was, I was an editor there working with pastors all over the country, producing resources for them, materials for them to help them in their, in their work, continuing to think about what church is and becoming part of a, a congregation there in the Nashville area and, and ultimately going on staff part-time, even though I was working at Lifeway, thinking about what church is and what church life is supposed to be like in love with this vision of the church that I was seeing in the scripture and wanting desperately to see that reproduced in any group of people that I was with. When we left Lifeway, I came to Arkansas, and you know I I served here in Arkansas for 10 years, 50,000 miles a year driving around to different churches. Um, When we joined a church in Conway, Arkansas, I told our pastor, I said, I will be your worst church member he said, what do you mean? I said, I will send my family, I will send my money, but I will never be here. He said, you will be better than most church members if you do that. <laughs> and I had more FaceTime with my pastor in that environment because he and I would get together once or twice a month and, and um, eat lunch, and I would seek to wash his feet and encourage him as a shepherd. One of the reasons I was drawn ultimately as pastor to come to Win Baptist Church was because I sensed some of that same activity of God in our church family. And I believed five years ago, when I began preaching this month here regularly five years ago, and I still believe it today, that, that our Father has a plan for this church that exceeds the grandest vision you could possibly have for any church and what he wants to accomplish. So when we talk about these things over the next few weeks, we're not talking about something that's just a good Bible study. I hope it's a good Bible study. We're not just talking about something hypothetical. Gee, wouldn't it be nice if that's what church was like? This is my belief that, that, that God wants to take us and mold us and shape us into a certain kind of church. And so when we say, let's go be the church, I believe at the end of this eight weeks, you're going to have a very clear picture of what we mean when we say, let's go be the church. And I hope you're excited about that. So this morning, uh, the message, I'm calling it this morning, the church Jesus is building. And we're going to take as our text today, Matthew chapter 16, reading verses 13 through 19. And this is really just to open up this series of studies for us. You know, Jesus had very little to say where he used the word church. In fact, the word church is only mentioned three times in the Gospels, all three times in the Gospel of Matthew, once here in chapter 16, twice in chapter 18. That's it. Uh, essentially, that word church means an assembly of people who have been called together, who have been gathered together, called out, literally is what it means, the called out ones. And, and so when he refers to the church, that's it. That's the three times Jesus mentions church. And and so whatever conception we have about church, we need to listen to Jesus very carefully. And I wish I had time to cover both passages, but we're just going to look at this one today. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist. Some Elijah, and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Would you pray with me? Father, as we have read your word, I pray your Holy Spirit, even now, would begin to stir it deeply into our heart. We pray that you would speak to us clearly, directly to each heart the truth that you want us to hear and that you want us to apply. Thank you, Father, for your word and its power. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This is the very first time the word church is mentioned in the New Testament. I think that's very significant. We need to give attention to it today. Jesus says about the church that he is building it. On this rock I will build my church in the gates of Hades, will not prevail against it. So the question that immediately raises in my mind is if Jesus is building the church, uh, that raises questions. What does that look like when he's building the church? How do I know when he's building the church? Because we know not everything that we stamp Jesus on is all about Jesus. And so how do I know when Jesus is building the church and that it's Jesus, and how do I recognize his activity Of building the church. Those are natural questions, things that we want to answer partially this morning and then throughout the the next coming weeks. How can we know? Well, let me share with you this morning four things about what Jesus is doing when we say he is building the church. First, he's building a people, but they have certain characteristics. The people that Jesus brings together and he builds, they have certain characteristics. Here's the first one: Jesus is building a people who know him personally he's building a people who know him personally in verse 15 it says he said to them but who do you say that i am simon peter answered and said you are the christ the son of the living god that was his confession peter was representative of all the disciples because jesus had addressed the question to all of them who do y'all say that i am peter speaks for the group he says you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So when Jesus comes back and says, you are Peter, he uses a word that means rock. Now Peter, this is not the first time he's been named Rock. His name was Simon. Jesus gave him the name Rock. And, and, but when he was first called, if you go back and study, Jesus said, your name is Simon now, but you're going to be called Cephas which is the Hebrew and Aramaic word for rock. So Jesus is not giving him the nickname now. This is not something new, but it is something that everybody kind of understood. He said, you're Peter, you're the the rock. And on this rock, now there are some churches that say because of what Jesus was saying in that moment, that he was establishing Peter as the head of the church and that the authority vested in Peter was going to be handed down from Peter to somebody else, to somebody else, to somebody else, right down to the present day. I believe if Jesus was doing that he would say you are Peter and on you I will build my church. He didn't say that. He uses another word for rock, spelled differently in the original language. He says and on this rock I will build my church. What is that rock? I believe it's the confession. The conviction. The declaration that that Peter had just spoken. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. He said on that rock, on your confession, on your statement, I'm going to build my church out of people who know me like that, who know me personally. Now, we know that he is building the church from all nations. In Matthew 28, 19, he says, "Therefore, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. The word nation in that time did not refer to a geopolitical unit with with boundaries and borders, it referred to people groups, ethne, ethnos, ethnic groups. We get the word ethnic from this word for nation. And he says, from all the nations, I want you to go and make disciples. In Matthew 24, verse 14, he says, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, all the peoples in the world. And we see the end result of this in the book of Revelation. When the song is sung... In Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, they sing, you are worthy, and then they sing, and have redeemed us to know God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So we know he's building the church from all the peoples on the planet, that he's building a church that includes people from Muslim groups and Buddhist groups and Hindu groups and who right now are giving the wrong answer to the question, who do people say that I am? But some of them will answer like Peter. Some of you are giving the wrong answer right now. Some of you who don't know him personally, if someone says, who is Jesus Christ to you, you say, well, some people say he's a prophet. Some people say he's just a wise man. Some people say... He was a miracle worker. He was special in some way, but, but you're not saying what Peter said. But out of people from all over the planet, he is gathering together a people to himself, not just any kind of people, but a people who know who he is. You are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. So the church that Jesus is building is based on the activity of God in revealing to a person's heart who Jesus really is. Jesus says to Peter, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father. It's something God has done. God does it in the heart. He does it by His Spirit. So it's a supernatural work. And it's not anything we can take credit for ourselves. I can't take the credit for understanding that Jesus is Christ. God reveals that to us in a supernatural and a spiritual way. It's a work of God. So when we talk about church and building the church, we're not just talking about getting more bodies in the pews. We're not talking about just filling up our coffers or filling up our buildings. We're talking about something that God is doing supernaturally to transform people one person at a time in their heart as they discover who He is. And so the church Jesus is building is a people who know him personally. Do we understand that that's what the church is? It's not a club. It's not something people join. They come once in a while. They give up their membership dues once in a while. The church is a supernatural uh, community of people who have been changed by the Spirit of God and who know Jesus. The church is all about Jesus. And if it's not about Jesus, it's not a church. So Jesus is building a people who know him personally. Secondly, he is also building a people who respond to him directly. In verse 18, he says, I will build my church. Notice that emphasis, I will build. I don't build the church. You don't build the church. Jesus says, I will build the church. How can you recognize the activity of Jesus as he builds his church? Well, we can study the scripture and then begin to watch and apply that to the world around us. For example, how did he build the church in Philippi? You'll find that story that I'm about to tell you in a nutshell in Acts 16. The church didn't exist in Philippi before Jesus went there. After Jesus left, there was a church. How did Jesus go there and build a church? He encountered uh, three individuals who became the foundation of that church a businesswoman Lydia a demon possessed slave girl and a pagan city employee who was a philippian jailer okay now now think with me for just a moment jesus opened a businesswoman's heart to the truth she was the first one the first convert it says the lord opened her heart to give heed to the word that was a work of god it says it the lord opened her heart he's the one who did it she came to a conviction that he is the Christ, the Son of God. And it was the Lord who opened her heart. There was a demon-possessed slave girl that they ran into. She was pretty annoying. You'll have to go back and read that story for yourself. But they cast the demon out of her. He said in verse 18, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Who did it? Jesus did it. The name of Jesus Christ, and it came out of her that very hour. So you have a demon-possessed slave girl set free by Jesus. And then Jesus got the attention of a pagan city employee doing his job, sitting there at night, and an earthquake comes. Paul and Silas, you see, when they cast that demon out of the girl, people got upset. They couldn't make business off of fortune telling when the girl didn't have a demonic spirit in her to tell the future anymore. And so they got arrested. They, they got persecuted. They got thrown into this jail. Paul and Silas at midnight are singing praises to the Lord, and an earthquake comes. That earthquake knocks the barriers off of their cells, and those men are set free. That earthquake did more than that. It knocked the barriers off of that jailer's heart, and that jailer was set free, and he became a new man. He released that jailer's heart from spiritual bondage and darkness that night. Now, do you think that Paul and Silas, on their way to Philippi, said, Paul turns to Silas and says, Silas, we need a plan. Silas, what's your vision for Philippi? And Silas looks at Paul and says, well, I have this, this I know it sounds crazy, but I have this idea that if we go, we need to find the most powerful businesswoman in that town, and, and we need to pray that God will open her heart. And she'll get saved. That'll be our starting point. We can meet at her house. And and then I think we ought to go to the market and find the most demonized person we can find and cast that demon out. And 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 as a consequence of that, she'll be set free. But we're going to get thrown in prison. This is my plan. Don't laugh. My plan is then that we both get thrown in prison. That's after they beat us nearly to death. We get thrown in prison, and while we're sitting there bleeding and cut and hurt, let's sing. And let's ask God to bring an earthquake, and let's see that jailer get saved. You think they sat around and made up that plan? I couldn't have planned that. Now, that's not at all the way I would have planned a church in Philippi. That was God's plan. Sometimes we get so caught up in the, in the organization of the church that we begin to think of it like any other organization, like any other business. And that we have to approach decisions, and we have to approach direction, and we have to approach planning the same way that any other operation approaches it in the world. But listen, that'd be true if the church was just like any other operation in the world, but it's not. It's not. Jesus is building a people who respond directly to him. You may have seen these lovely plants here by the the pulpit. And, um, And I want you to know they're not here for any particular purpose except for this illustration. And this particular plant right here, how many of y'all think this plant's real? Well, you're right. It's not. Okay? This is a fake plant. And and it kind of looks like that one. Now, my precious wife worked really hard to get two plants that kind of looked alike. But this plant over here, you think it's real or fake? This one's real. Okay, this plant right here is real. I'm going to try to balance it here. All right? Uh, well, I'll balance the fake one. All right? Living things have trouble staying on their feet. So, we've got a fake plant here. Now, let me ask you a question. A year from now, which plant's going to look different? The living plant's going to look different. This plant is going to look exactly like it does now. It might be dusty, depending on where I put it, but it's going to look exactly like it looks now. But the living plant is going to look entirely different. Now, how many of you know what it's going to look like? How many leaves it's going to have? The coloration scheme. Can you draw me a perfect picture of what it's going to look like a year from now? No, you can't. You know why? Because life, life doesn't go the way we plan. The life in this plant, it's got a structure. It's got an appearance. We can see it. It's physical. But there's life in this plant. And when there's but because of the life that's in it, it's not going to be the same a year from now. And a lot of times we look at our churches and we say, Well, I got a plan to make this one bigger. I'm gonna go out and get more fake plants and stick it in there. And we force it and we try to make things happen. We try to cause it to happen. And all the while forgetting that Jesus said, I will build my church. And what that looks like is, is, is may not be anything that you and I will expect. So Paul and Silas didn't have a plan. They simply followed Jesus step by step. That is what we are called to do as a church. We talked about this a year ago in experiencing God together. You may remember that message where God does not lead us by giving us a big map. And saying, you can look 200 miles down this map and see exactly where you're going and and every step along the way. God does not lead you and me that way. God leads you and I step by step by step by step. Now, why does he do that? Because he wants you to stay close to him. He is the map. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You don't need a map if you've got him. And so that is the same way that we are called to live in church. He wants a people who respond to him directly. I will build my church. So it's okay to have a building. It's okay to have programs. It's okay to have all these models and plans and all the things that, you and I think we've got to have in order to have church. But listen, the structure cannot replace life. Or you get this. I've got bones that are supporting life right now in my body. When I was a kid, we used to do, I can't even tell you the stuff we used to do. It was bad. Stupid is what it was. And one of the things we used to do, we used to build bike ramps. Stupidest thing we did. Now, if you got one at home, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to call you that. It's the behavior. It's the behavior, not the person. So we would build these bike ramps. And we would, you know, ride down the bike. We, and we did it in the middle of the street, back when you could play in the middle of the street. You should never have played in the middle of the street. But anyway, one day I was riding my bike. I think I was in the sixth grade. And uh, I never had a lot of coordination to begin with. When I was five years old, they worried about me. I, they'd throw a big beach ball at me, and I'd miss. You know, it was, it was I was slowly developing. And so I wanted to be like everybody else. I rode my bike, had a banana seat. Remember banana seats? Rode it as fast as I could, hit that ramp, went up in the air, landed on my back tire. Oh, this is so good. I thought, but I don't want to stay on my back tire, so I put on my brakes. (laughs) And my front tire came down. My back tire came up. And I went bike, me, bike, me down the rest of the road. And I I stopped rolling in the street, and I just stayed there a second, taking inventory my feelings. And I look at my hands. They're kind of skinned up. That wasn't good. And my elbow, I could tell it was hurting. And I kind of sat up, pulled my knees up to my chest, and kind of looked down. And right here, there was a gash in my leg, and I could see all the way down to a little fat layer around my bone. Now, can I tell you something? When you see your bones, there's a problem. (laughs) You're not supposed to see your bones. I screamed, ran home to my house, not too far away, and uh, walked into the kitchen where my mother saw what happened. She blanched, screamed, oh, my darling, you know, it's, it's bad. She lifted me up, put me in the car, took me to the ER where I was a frequent visitor by the way. <laughs> and uh, they might have arrested my mother nowadays as many times as I went there. And they've sewed me up. And that was the one of approximately 60 to 70 stitches I got growing up for different things. You're not supposed to see your bones. If all we see in a church is the structure of that church, it's not hard to leave a structure. You know, you're in trouble, and where the structure is sort of taken over the church and the organizational mindset is sort of taken over the church. When we look at church and we say, I have to go, when church is what Jesus is building. And because of our love relationship with him, which spills over into love relationships with one another, I get to go to church. I get to go. And that's what he desires for us as a church family, is that in the church that he's building, that we would know him personally and that we would respond to him directly, receiving our direction from him as individuals, that I receive calling from him, we're going to talk about calling in later weeks that I receive calling from him as an individual. I get involved in the things that God's called me to do, and in that way I become part of the body of Christ, and I don't have to do it. I get to do it. People who respond to him directly. Jesus is building a people who know him personally, who respond to him directly, and then number three, a people who belong to him supremely. They belong to him supremely. I want to take that phrase again, verse 18. I will build whose church? my church. My church. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's not anybody else's church. Whose church is it? He says it's my church. It belongs to him. So if the church belongs to him, what should you be most passionate about at church? If if I belong to him, if that's the nature of the relationship between me and the church, is that I belong to him, if that's a very significant thing, he's building a church that belongs to him, my church, where should my heart be in that mix? I should be passionate about him, shouldn't I? My passion should be about Christ and his people and the things that he loves, but, but he's the sinner. Are you committed to the church or are you passionate about Jesus? I get to do weddings as a pastor. And uh, one of the things I, I notice about weddings is that most of the time at the, on the wedding day, the bride and groom are very excited about each other. They are. I got married May 15, 1982. I was excited about marrying my wife. She's excited about marrying me. Now, we did some things non-traditional back then. I didn't like hanging around taking pictures after the ceremony, so we took our pictures ahead of time. I saw her ahead of time. I remember that moment when I saw her that morning. When we went through the ceremony, which we planned, and it was way too long, honey. I have a recording, of an audio recording of the ceremony, and we sound like children, babies on there. But I have an audio recording of that ceremony. I don't remember 90% of that, of that audio. I don't remember it. I do remember standing there across from her. I do remember the car on the way to... A honeymoon which we figured out as we went along and she fell asleep from exhaustion I'm driving and there's a wedding ring on my hand and I'm going whoa I remember those kinds of moments why because I was excited about her listen you are the bride of Christ he is building a church that is excited about him who loves him he is the groom we are the bride are you excited about Jesus There is infiltrating the church today, a spirit of Antichrist. John says it was already here in his day, a spirit of Antichrist that not only denies who he is, it wants to displace him and displace his place in our heart, where someone else mediates to us who God is, someone else takes stands between us and God, a pastor, a staff member, somebody else. You listen, that's idolatry. He is Lord. He is the one who's to be the object of our affection. No one else can take his place. I am not your Jesus. No one else is your Jesus. There's only one Jesus. The church is a spirit people doing life in a love relationship with Jesus and one another. Hell cannot stop it. Nothing can stop this movement of new creation people to redeem a broken creation. And so in that sense, the Bible then becomes an incredible love story It is not a church management guide. Number four, Jesus is building a people who know him personally, who respond to him directly, who belong to him supremely. And number four, who follow him victoriously. Verse 18, and and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. What an attitude adjustment we need. What an attitude adjustment we need. We tend to think of America going down the tubes. We think of everything that's going wrong. We think of, uh, we say America's going to hell in a handbasket. We look at the church not as a launching pad. We look at it as a fortress. Church is a mighty fortress. It's a place where we hide. It's a place where we can get with people who know Jesus and love him like we do. and We sort of hide out here and we get encouraged here maybe and we get recharged here. And, and what we are trying to do is keep hell out of the church. Keep the devil out of the church. Keep, keep all that the enemy is doing out of our lives. We want to be left alone. We want to do life the way we want to do it which is the right way. and Nobody else can possibly be right. We want to do it our way, the right way. And so we have a fortress mentality when it comes to the rest of the world. This verse says that the church Jesus is building that when when that church is being built, that hell is under assault. Gates are defensive mechanisms. Gates are not things you attack with. So if the gates of hell don't prevail against the church, who's who's doing the attacking? Who's doing the defending? It means the church is doing the assault. The church is beating down the gates where people are held in a place of death. It means the church is assaulting and undoing all that the enemy wants to do to destroy everybody that you know that doesn't know Jesus. And we have the privilege, we have the opportunity when he is building the church, when I am knowing him, responding to him, when I'm in a place where I belong to him and I'm passionate about him and he is putting me, leading me, guiding me, prompting me, leading you, guiding you, prompting you, that we become this mighty supernatural force that nothing in heaven or hell can stop there's a cause and effect that's described here the cause is i'm building when i am building my church the effect is the gates of hell will not prevail against it The, the cause is his building the effect is us just being responsive to him And the point that we're just listening to him, doing what he says, responding to him, the gates come down. So suddenly we have a way of measuring whether or not Jesus is building the church. He gave us a metric. You want to measure something? You want to measure something? Are the gates still standing? If the gates are standing, can I say with authority that he is building the church? When he's blasting the gates away, I know he's building the church. When whole neighborhoods are being exposed to the gospel, I know he's building the church. When the areas of town that we don't go to, we don't live in, when they're hearing the gospel and we are carrying that gospel to them, I know He is building the church. When we are not the same as we were last year, I know he is building the church. Because everything the enemy is trying to do to destroy, suppress, and rip apart a particular congregation, it stops when he is building the church. I want to be a part of a church like that. Don't you? A church that Jesus is building. A church where we see businesswomen get saved, or we see demonized young people get saved, or we see pagans get saved, and dear ones, that's messy. I don't know about you, but if you ever hung around a bunch of pagans who are just gotten saved, they don't talk right yet, because I haven't messed them up yet. They don't, they don't talk like we talk. They don't act yet like we act. It's just messy. They make mistakes. They say things that you and I wouldn't say. They, they think things you and I don't think. They believe things you and I don't believe. But they know Jesus. And I want to be a part of a church that Jesus is building. That means that our pews increasingly will be populated with people who don't say the right things. Don't. Don't think and act the way that we think and act and know if you come to Win Baptist Church, this is the way you're supposed to act. They just don't know yet but they know Jesus. And I want to be in an environment where someone can come off the street and win Arkansas and walk into this fellowship and they won't feel judged or condemned or looked down on the way they dress or act or talk or smell of Jesus that he is building here people who love one another and they can sense it, they can sense it, they know when they walk into a room and everybody in that room loves each other and they say, I want to be a part of that.